Marcus Sahaba Online Radio, serving you wherever you are. Okay, legal talk, and alhamdulillah, again, uh, our has joined us, and the listeners of uh, Marcus uh, Sahaba. Let me welcome you all with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, tell me, how are you doing this fine, uh, beautiful evening, Ashraf? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah, Shafat, I'm very well, thank you. I hope you are too, and so are our dear listeners. Alhamdulillah, you know, really. Uh, are you on a flight or something this evening? Ashraf, I can hear the airport sound in the back. Ding dong, ding dong. <laughs> no, I'm near the airport, yes. Alhamdulillah, you know me, I got you under surveillance, uh, but Alhamdulillah, uh, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, we, we, as I said, uh, we are grateful to have you. And uh, here we look around us and, uh, you know, uh, what's going on, the scenario, and uh, we're being tested. And, you know, you being a spiritual man, you always give me good nasiya. The test that we're being uh, uh, shown this uh, in, in, in our tapestry of life now is uh, the forces of and the four forces of Basil, uh, we have also been, uh, you know, shown in the house of Islam uh, how the hypocrites have come to the fore. And uh, perhaps, uh, you know, we can make an informed judgment that we know truly now we know what the West is all about. We don't know what Zionism is all, all about. And we know who the Munafikins are in the house of Islam. How would you react to that, uh, Ashraf? So, Ashraf, uh, for me, uh, the story doesn't start uh, on the 7th of October, but it is almost like uh, in every age, it is the same kind of challenge. What do I mean by that, Shabha? You see, we talk of the hypocrites, for example, and we're saying that the West and uh, Zionism and indeed some so-called Muslim countries uh, um, they basically demonstrated the hypocrisy. But I want to ask you, Shabbat, when were they not hypocrites? From the birth of the Dean, these forces were already there. The Judeo-Christian methodology and system preceded Islam, but the first enemies of the deen came from the Arabs themselves. And the Quran is clear that there were hypocrites there and that is warned against their behavior. It also warns us about taking certain people to be your friends and protectors. It says and protectors. So, I don't see that this is something new. I see this as historically relevant. It's already been there. So, it may have been intensified now. I think in the words of some recent commentators, they said, well, the, the, um, the Crusades never stopped, you see. So, this is another, let's say, installment of that. Of course, what we're seeing is horrific. What we're seeing hurts us. What we're seeing cannot be forgotten. But I think what we have here is another demonstration of how we got the story wrong, Shabbat. And by that, what do I mean? Look, if you're reading the Alhamdo every single day, and in the last line before Amin, you ask Allah, because Alhamdo is a kind of a dua, you ask Allah to save you from two classes of people. Uh, those that have earned his anger and those that have gone astray. Now, this is a very, very powerful dua, but it is there from the inception of Islam and compulsory in every salah. You cannot be left out. So in that you're seeing already Allah in his 
wisdom has already told us about these events. Now, we have to make the choice of what or where we put our trust. If we say, look, this is an injustice, what we're witnessing, we're calling on this, that, and other body, and this government, and that, you know, to assist. Well, um, I think maybe in the short term, you'll see some results. Look, for example, the hostage negotiations were championed by both uh, Qatar and Egypt. So it was not the US or UK or some other force or some other body or some other country. If we if we're still accepting the normal language that we normally employ. And then you could see that the states that, you know, those that identify themselves as Egyptian or Qatari, we've spoken about nationalism before, which I think is the bane of our existence. But those two governments seem to have been responsible for negotiating uh, the ceasefire, albeit temporary, and the release of uh, prisoners on both sides. So it also demonstrates that maybe there is some kind of unification. Of course, we also notice a great silence uh, and non-participation by many, many other so-called nations. But let's not be disappointed because uh, the nature of where we find ourselves today is uh, the creation of the same nation states by the same authority that gave um, Palestine to the Zionists, and, and which is, the, I'm referring now to the British. So, um, yeah, it, it's almost the same master, you know, uh, that's dictating these, and we're still caught up in how they've defined us, which I think needs to be pondered upon. But that's basically the my reaction to your question, Shabbat. You know, you made me see the light uh, on, on, on that sense. And, you know, many generations come, but the message would always uh, be the same. And you said the Surah Fatiha will be there. Uh, you know, you asking Allah to show us the straight way, the right way, and so forth. And, uh, you know, uh, we will be challenged in our times and uh, the times of uh, Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was challenged by the hypocrisy. He was challenged by his own, uh, you know, uncles and uh, family members, his own clan. And we will be challenged in our times. So this is our challenge to prove to our, uh, to ourselves, to you know, you and I, that either we are on the right or the wrong. And if you look deep within ourselves, we can get our own answers. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Farooq? Uh, I mean, uh, Isop? Ashraf? So, yeah, I, I think, you know, we all know the answers, right, Shafat? Um, the challenge of the self as a person, the challenge of your, your, the self as a community, the challenge of the self as an ummah. On a personal level, you know what the challenges are. Um, and the thing is, either we 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 give, um, you know, vent to that. But let, let's start on the personal level, Shepard. You see, what is the purpose of our creation? The purpose of our creation is worship. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to all the souls when he gathered us, Am I not your Lord? Allah And all of us answered, Indeed you are. We all created at the same time. Yes, we came at different times into the dunya. But the souls all remember this contract. Now, on a personal level, the contract between the mu'min and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of worship because that's what Allah said I desired to be known so I created man and jinn and then he said man and jinn have been created to worship me so worship one part of worship is the contract the contract is ibadah and if you're fulfilling it well glad tidings to you 
you are a slave, you are in Ibadah. Now, I think sometimes, Shafat, we, we kind of forget that Ibadah is not the confines of the mosque. Because you can't be one person in the mosque and another person outside. Allah is omnipresent, he's with you all the time. So, the way that they, the teachers have, have basically uh, pronounced on this, obviously from the source being the Rasul because he's the greatest teacher ever. Without him, there would be no Quran, no understanding, no life, no, no goal, no objective, no, uh, you know, heaven and hell. Because I mean, our deen is unique. The, 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 the Prophet came with a unique message. No, no other deen has the equivalent of how uh, the, the Islam is. From its cleanliness to all of its acts of worship. And the acts of worship include the Hajj, the fasting, the, the Zakat. But it is more than that. It is the behavior that we take when we're in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the mosque, because that is the mirage of the mu'min, and you take it out with you. So the one whose heart is in constant remembrance of the Creator, which is um, by the repetition of the divine name Allah, he is then in constant ibadah, and he has fulfilled the contract. And with him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, then after a while, he becomes the hand with which he grasps, the eyes with which he sees, the mouth with which he speaks, the legs with which he walks. So that person is basically in Ibadah. And then that basically is our contract. Contrast that to the rest of the dunya. We are all human beings, so Allah has created all of insan in the same way. We have needs, we have to eat, we have to breathe, we have to wake up, we have to do this, we have to, uh, you know, take care of our bathrooms and this and that. But the Muslim is set apart from everyone else because the rest of the dunya, and you can see it, appears to be in the business of satisfying appetite. Whereas the Muslim, while he is in the dunya, he is there to satisfy the Creator, the demands of Allah, because we will go back to Him. As we say, when everyone, when anyone dies and you have news of it, you say, well, we came from Him and we're going back. I mean, that in itself is a profound statement um, that helps uh, with uh, your grieving, with your, your loss. Um, even if we sing the, the thing in front of us, uh, as terrible as it is, that's what we utter. So that basically, Shabbat, is the person. Then as a community, right, you have you have to do joint things as a community. For example, look, if there was no poor people or the eight categories of zakat recipients in Surah Toba, the traveler, the needy, the miskeen, even the one in debt, then you wouldn't need a community spirit. You wouldn't need, zakat wouldn't exist without a community. There's, there's more than one person. It's the only ibadah that has more than one person. All the others you can do on your own. You can do the shahada, you can do the hajj, you can do the salah, and you can fast on your own. But zakat is the only pillar that requires another human being for its fulfillment. So then on a community level, that is what uh, I think we need to address, the fallen pillar of Islam, zakat, because the zakat is not what we're doing with it now. Um, you know, self-assessment, uh, payment to, to organizations, and then we think, okay, we've done it. Because again, you know, we've spoken about this before. There are laws that pertain to Hajj and, and all of the other five pillars. So when it comes to the laws of zakat, somehow we seem to uh, forget about it. Now we come to the last. Um, the last is the ummah. So the ummah is in tatters. 
simply because we've abandoned the sunnah of being ruled by a khalif. And now we find ourselves in serious problems because one part of the world will pull this way, the other part will pull that way. People make up their own minds about where, what is a jihad and how you can do it and what you can do and what you can't do. All of this, uh, in my view, amounts to religious anarchy. And therefore now we find ourselves at the mercy of the merciless. Uh, we find ourselves killed by the heartless. We find, uh, find ourselves starved by the people that have everything. You know, they cut off your water, they cut off your electricity, they cut off all forms of dignity. And we look there and we say, you know, my heart is so sore, let me send some money. And the money you send goes through their banking system. It's still received in, they still make a whack out of it. So you can see, Shafar, what I'm demonstrating is what I think uh, is is uh, some of our difficulties because I was trying to answer the question um, that you posed. But that's uh, what I think. Uh, bless you for that, Ashraf. So in other words, you know, we as uh, Muslims that, that are living in a predominantly in a Western society, uh, we are in a conundrum because, you know, we are selective in uh, the type of sunnah that we will implement in our lives. We are selective uh, with what we will mix uh, with uh, our circular, you know, you know, world that we're living in and so forth. So are we as Muslims heavily, heavily compromised, uh, Ashraf? Well, Shafat, I think compromised is um, a difficult term. I think what we have is ignorance. We're ignorant of the demands of the deen. It's almost like a strange thing when you say, but you can't operate without a khalif. You can't operate where the zakat uh, is not being fulfilled, where we're now treating it as a private charity, uh, where we ignore the terrible, terrible war that Allah has declared which is usury, which usually permeates every aspect of our lives as it has permeated for the last 400 odd years when modern banking became the norm. But Allah subhanahu wa forbade it, even to Sedna Musa's people. And then obviously we know they changed the law because look, a usury or riba is that that is increased without effort, without, like, if I just give you a loan and I demand something back just because I owned the capital, that kind of um, exchange was not allowed because human beings were not allowed to oppress another human being by virtue of the power of their capital. And so in the traditional teachings of uh, Judaism, up to this day, Loans between Jews do not carry interest. That's quite remarkable because then Sayyidina Isa, who was a rabbi, who was a Jew, encountered the same thing in the inner temple uh, where he threw out the moneylenders and he whooped them. He didn't just say, Father, forgive them. He took action. He, he fought. He fought forcefully fought against it and at which point the um, the people controlling the temple or the powers controlling the temple decided look uh, this man is not needed here uh, let's um, reject him as the false messiah and uh, put him through all of these trials and obviously on their version they killed him and then we come to the final prophet who came with the book and in the book is a clear, clear ayat, two things. Allah is permitted trade and forbidden usury. But then comes another. He says Allah and the, and the Prophet have declared war on usury. Now, I mean, this is a state of war that we've completely ignored. So we're quite satisfied then when you say we've compromised ourselves to live in the Western world. Whether it's East or West, all of this is covered by the same, um, let's say, uh, 
system. So you, it's inescapable. And it's only inescapable because we have abandoned the fight against usury. And usury permeates even the kuffar, even those that are so-called in the West. They all, you know, we think of Gaza as a uh, concentration camp, open aid. We're all in a concentration camp. We're all in the gulags, in the cities. We're all indebted to the banks. We all uh, take loans, whether it's personal or private or business. We all take this. Now, you see how heavily we've compromised ourselves, Shafat. Just to address your, your question on uh, have we compromised ourselves. But that's my view. Yeah, you know, definitely uh, making a lot of sense there, and uh, you find uh, that, uh, you know, well, Darul Halb, uh, Harb, Darul's, uh, Darul Salam, and we're living in, uh, you know, in, in an environment of uh, Darul Harb, where the majority is uh, Christianity and so forth, and, you know, we say, oh, no, we can't deal with this, and we can't do certain things, uh, but, you know, we are dealing with uh, non-Muslims all the time, uh, we're accepting their money, uh, we're doing uh, business dealings with them, and then at a certain time, in the same breath, we discriminate against them, we call them names and so forth under our breaths. That is sheer hypocrisy, uh, Ashrafa. Uh, I mean, how would you react to that? You know, Shafat, um, the Prophet knew the hypocrites, but he never said who they were. Um, so, the next question is the so-called living under a Christian minority, uh, majority. I think that's a, a, a misnomer for the following reasons. Number one, the Christians themselves are victims of this. And if they took the Sunnah of Sayyidina Isa, they would also break out of it. Now, this is not to say that they're not aware. There were various movements aware of the power of uh, the ba banking fraternity, and they tried to dismantle it. Obviously, it didn't uh, succeed. I mean, just uh, Eric Cantona about 20 years ago, you know, ex-Manchester United, uh, I mean, he was so affected by it that he said, let's do a run on the banks and, uh, you know, withdraw our, our deposits. Obviously, it wasn't uh, successful simply because there wasn't an understanding in buy-in by people. But make no mistake, there are people around the world that have uh, identified this and they're not necessarily Muslims, but they understood this. And they understood the, 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 the terrible power of the people practicing riba have on the rest of creation. And they've tried to make the change uh, and they didn't. And so we find ourselves all of humankind, not just the Muslims, affected by the same illness. And the illness is the illusion that what they call money has got power. And it doesn't. And that's part of our shirk. Our shirk is not, you know, partnering some idol or something, but our shirk is giving power to something that is powerless, money. And then we, we say that, look, uh, uh, you know, we don't, we're not practicing shirk, but we do because it's a shirk of money. And so we have to address these things ourselves, you see, Shafat. It is not for somebody else. You know, we we have to quit making uh, all these uh, excuses, and we we really need to to introspect. Um, these wars that are fostered or foisted on us is only because we are disorganized. It's only because we are unable to do things, and then we get caught in the narrative about who's there to help us and who's not there. This Allah is always is the only power on earth that can help you, that can change things, but you must want change. Allah subhanahu says, you, I'll help you if you help yourself. How do you help yourself? First of all, we have no inkling of how these uh, forces work. You know, we, we're quite comfortable living it out as uh, capitalists ourselves in a so-called uh, democracy. And, you know, then we pay lip service to the Dean, but the Dean is a package deal, Shabbat. It's not, uh, 
you know, what you can cherry pick. The other thing is the great disaster that has obviously befallen us is the ignorance of the people that call themselves ulama. And they give full credence to this terrible banking system. They're even calling it Islamic banking. They should not call it Islamic banking. They must call it whatever. Give your name and put your name in that bank. Let's say you Mufti X. Call it Mufti X Bank. Don't call it Islamic. Put your name there because it's not Islamic. I mean, how can it be Islamic when the creation of the first ex, uh, first means of the transaction was from nothing? So you cannot create from nothing and then call it something and get everyone to participate in it. The second terrible thing is they don't even understand. If you sit with them and ask them, what is fractional reserve banking? What is quantitative easing? How is money created? Who controls money? What is money? All of these things are not answerable. And then they say, okay, this product is halal and that product is haram and this insurance is... But the core of the money, the, the start, the very beginning, is that the bankers control this. I mean, isn't it strange that you can just run a printing press and call it money and continue printing it and everyone trusts it and everyone exchanges in it and a few people control it and a few people benefit from it? I mean, the last figures were that from the pandemic onwards, there was such a flush of wealth that the top 1% now owns 40% of the entire world's resources. Put your mind to it. 1% owns this thing. Uh, if you look at uh, 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 Michael Moore's uh, documentary on food, for example, um, and he says that six companies own the entire food resource of the world. Uh, it's called Food Inc. So there's a few there's a few sources of information that if people want to really have an introspection, because you know, Yishavad, we always speak about this and we say, well, where is the answers? They, it's, it is out there. Food Inc. will explain to you how food is controlled. Uh, Zeitgeist Addendum is a very, very important movie on understanding economics. Um, I think you and I have spoken about the spider's web, which is Britain's new colonial uh, prowess. Um, there's there's a, a planet of humans, which is really frightening on, on uh, when you when you start looking at how, uh, you know, the, 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 the planet is being destroyed. So why am I saying these things is because we simply want people to be able to look at information that is, is there in the public domain, but probably not, um, you know, exposed to it. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, you, you need to know about it. Uh, you need to look at it and you need to understand how these things work, how central banks have seized power, uh, changing world order. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. It simply will give you um, an indication of where we are in this whole thing and, and you'll start understanding. So again, encouragement is not to feel despondent, but to feel hopeful and um, educate yourself because the information is there and not get trapped. You know that the Romans had a means of controlling people and, and their minds so that they don't actually wake up. The two things that the Romans did was give penum at circum bread and circus so bread you could easily translate into the addiction uh, with fast foods which is which is all over the muslim world now anywhere you go you'll see the big brands uh, as well as the drinks which is the conquering force of the mind i mean this is michael moore's findings in uh, food inc where he said that you see that they they extract from corn which has now become the major a GMO food in the world, the extract from corn is called T4 and T4 is in every packaged food and and the, when you consume it, it has the ability to deadening your your receptors in your brain so that you, do, you don't end up actually thinking, you know, you're just in on automation. 
um, and circus. Well, you know, we're all carrying the circus around in our in our cell phones. You you can sit and download something, and they found the <laughs> medical the medical results of of being constantly entertained on your cell phone, be it on whatever platform. You know, there's this need to be informed all the time and have this thing and watch this and watch that. And so it's circus, you see, when when you're involved in those things then you can't even give, uh, you know, you cannot even give grace to our first topic that we spoke about, which is the contract of Allah uh, and you can't even engage in remembrance of your creator because your mind is busy all the time. So that's what I think there, Shafat. Yes, Ashraf, uh, you know, you're making a lot of sense at this uh, uh, evening and you're asking us to d look deep within ourselves and answer those questions. And, uh, you know, on uh, the uh, thing of uh, Islamic banking, I know Mufti A.K. Hussein has been very vociferously against that. And, uh, you know, Alhamdulillah, trying to tell the Ummah and uh, some will listen, some don't listen. And uh, then, you know, the solution is there in uh, the Noble Quran. And as you said, you know, we're asking everyone for help and why you're not helping. Uh, I mean, if we follow the uh, message of the Noble Quran, arm yourself to the thief and strike fear into the, your enemies. And the fact is, uh, the very fact that, you know, they think nothing of Muslims today is because we have left perhaps uh, the one of the most important codes of life, you know, our manifesto uh, that is there. Uh, we don't even look into it. We don't even discuss it. We don't even implement it in our lives, uh, Ashraf. And this is why we are found wanting. Your thoughts? Look, I, I think it's a serious charge. Eh? Um, I, I think that at this stage, we don't even imagine ourselves to be part of a greater force around the world. What do I mean by that? The Shahada is the only um, pole that unites us. That's why even if there's a landslide now in Indonesia or something that happens in Kashmir, you feel it. Or in, in Mongolia or in uh, China, you feel it. You feel it because you have uniquely identified um, the primal contract uh, of, of that Allah is the Rabb and to, you know, we worship him. And the second part of the Shahada is to accept the, the Rasul Sallallahu as the final messenger. And then obviously all of the other, you know, that we believe in the year after the books, the angels, etc. Now, what we've done is we've allowed ourselves the luxury of operating outside the prescribed system. And then, you know, we say, ah, it's all okay. I mean, and you know, we, we it's a, it's a kind of a modernism sickness, and uh, we accept it quite willingly. Instead of uh, finding out or gravitating towards what is a serious obligation, and and that is uh, not to be anarchic. You know, you just now gave an example of some say, okay, Islamic banking, this, that, and you know. Um, uh, Allah must bless uh, Mufti AK for his uh, efforts to educate people about uh, riba and banking especially. Uh, riba is a form of, uh, riba is most pronounced in banking. It's not the only thing, but the, you know, the bankers are basically the people that um, uh, control credit. Um, and so we have to seriously introspect about how we're going to return to uh, the deen in its original pristine form and what are we going to be talking about and how we're going to be organizing ourselves to re-educate ourselves about this. Unfortunately, Shafat, I, I even find amongst most of the um, modern day ulama all around the world um, sorely, sorely lacking in what this is, how it operates. And, you know, then 
allow ourselves to be um, re-educated about it and governed uh, differently. So it's also surprising that, you know, how we easily take, um, uh, let's say, Islam into the modern world when we, we say, you see, now our Islamic marriages are recognized. I mean, the deen is more than births, marriages and deaths. You know, the um, marriages were not recognized. Now we we relieved that your nikah certificate, you can simply go into home affairs and convert that to, into a civil marriage certificate because the whole thinking behind it, I mean, in year 2023 now, is Islamic marriages were potentially polygamous and therefore not recognized. But then, you know, lots of people operated in a dual system quite happily. When you took your second or third wife, you know, Islam allows this to me, you know, I can do this. And when it came to everything else, we're saying no. Uh, well, we still have to respect the law of the land. I'm saying you must respect the law of the land, but you need to educate yourself about what the real problem is. The real problem, Shafat, is not that the Judeo-Christian world has banded together with the atheists or the communists or the socialists against Islam. The real problem is we do not want Islam as it is prescribed. That is an indictment on ourselves. We cannot blame anyone else. And so we find ourselves, you know, blindly following this or that, or this country or that country or this personality or that personality. And all of it is, uh, to my mind, needs to be changed. Shabbat. Well, uh, Ashraf, you know, we talk about influences of this world and who are the influences, no matter what you say, they will influence uh, the policies of this world. Now, you know, you made me think very deeply, uh, the influences of this world, unfortunately, and we have to say this, uh, you know, with a very sad heart, are these uh, Reba kings, the Reba manipulation of those uh, people that, that uh, you know, a wheel and deal because you every move you make you have to go via this Ariba system. So in other words, uh, those uh, that uh, wear the cloth have been captured by the influences, or they feel that you know without these influences we can't make a move. Um, and that is you know showing preference over the law of what's given in the Quran. That I declare war on those that deal in riba or implement the system. Ashraf, it's a very powerful question. I don't know how you're going to answer it, Ashraf. Well, look, um, again, if you try and do the right thing, I think that all that is all that is uh, required. Because, you know, if you look at it, the system looks impossible to overcome. In, in fact, Muslims say that. Oh, it's impossible. It's not impossible. Because Allah is making everything possible. You just have to put the effort into it. Having said that, I think some of the information that, uh, you know, you, you're saying influences and um, again, remember what we spoke about Panama at Circum. I mean, the circus is our um, reliance uh, almost on a daily basis on some or other influencer making the statements that we agree with. But you caught up in the whole, you're still caught up in the whole system. Now, what I would recommend is somebody um, Googling a gentleman called Umar Ibrahim Vadilio. Uh, he is of Basque origin. I think he came to Islam 30 or 40 years ago. And he's written extensively on this and he's, a, he's, he's spoken very authoritatively on this. He's sat with hundreds of ulama literally trying to explain this. And again, source of knowledge, a source of reference to understand this thing. All I'm asking for is an understanding, an awakening in the mind about what the real issue is. Shafat. At this stage, we are unable. You said, you know what, prepare for war with the best. Shafat, we have no ability. I mean, they're talking about hypersonic missiles and there isn't one single jet produced by any Muslim country. You know, I know Pakistan has got one, but it's not theirs. I mean, it's a hybrid between Saab and and the Pakistanis, uh, but all of it basically is is to um, is to protect themselves from an uprising from within. 
their, their own population. You saw that in Turkey when there was a coup, they were bombing the um, Erdogan's government with, with jets. Now, I don't say there's an equality of arms, and this is not even an armed uprising. We, we can't even rise out of our beds for Fajr. I don't know how we're going to go and do anything else. What I'm saying is we're living in ignorance. We need to find the information. We need to make an effort to educate ourselves and then <coughs> taking that effort into account, many, many people will jointly come to the same conclusion. Now you have a new awakening. And this is not impossible, Shabbat. You know, Allah creates um, examples around the world. See, the French Revolution, the uh, uh, Marie Antoinette never thought they'd be disposed of. But the people's will sufficed. And communism in Russia with the Bolshevik Revolution started with a few people reading Das Kapital of Marx. And Marx himself was a trained uh, rabbi. So he understood this whole story about selling your labor and labor had a price and capital would export, exploit labor as we see today. You know, there, there's so many trade unions and every single day we seeing some kind of development. I mean, yesterday <clears throat> I spoke about a living wage of 12,500 and we know the basic wage in this country is 3,500, which in a basket of goods can hardly buy you anything. And then, of course, you know, they come in there. <coughs> I tell you about this thing called inflation and, you know, every year things have to automatically go up by 10%. We have to sit back and think, how is this all possible? Who's, where, what's happening? So that's what I'm saying, that all of mankind is affected by this. And Islam is the last outpost, singular um, uh, power or faith opposing this terrible thing called riba that all of mankind is now exposed to. If you're talking about a weapon of mass destruction of ignorance, then Islam has the answer. Because Islam, it is only Islam that can stop riba and turn the thing around. Because Allah has decreed it. So we can't be, you know, um, we can't be living in a schizophrenia, you know, that I'm, I'm this when I'm in this world and I'm that when I'm in that side. You are one being with one responsibility, with one goal. And we will return to our creator. And you know, the Surah Yasin says, even your hands and feet will give testimony against you. So that's what I think, Shabbat. <coughs> Ashraf, uh, Allah bless you for that and, uh, you know, for even doing extensive research and uh, bringing this uh, to the fore on this uh, platform of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Moving on, uh, you know, we talk about uh, dual citizenship. Uh, we know there's uh, these uh, certain Israelis that have a uh, dual citizenship of uh, South African and uh, uh, Israel and they, some of them have fought in the IDF in the recent, uh, you know, uh, Tamasha that's taking place now. But, uh, you know, what are the advantages and the disadvantages of having uh, dual citizenship, uh, Ashraf? So let's just take uh, introspection into the recent case law on this. So the Constitution does not prohibit more than one citizenship. So you have a right to citizenship of your country. And there was a piece of legislation in the Citizenship Act. Um, and it basically amounted to the following, that if by voluntary act, other than marriage and or being a minor child, you acquire citizenship of a, another country, then you are deemed to have automatically lost South African citizenship. Now, that matter was tested that loss of automatic loss of citizenship was tested by the DA in the High Court, and the High Court um, said that the DA didn't make a case out. 
the High Court reasoned that there were mechanisms built into the Citizenship Act to prevent automatic loss. And that mechanism was that you will apply to retain South African citizenship, obtain the minister's consent, and then only apply for foreign citizenship. So it didn't completely prohibit it. It only gave a mechanism of how you should be doing this. And so the DA said, no, this automatic loss should not happen. You shouldn't have to go through all of these hoops to try and get dual citizenship. And they took the matter on appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court of Appeals agreed with the DA. And so it solidified the automatic loss of citizenship as a uh, illegal thing. So what they've said is it now operates with retrospective effect. Now, different countries deal with their citizens um, participating in foreign wars differently. In the UK, for example, there was a young girl of Bengali descent and she went off to join ISIS. Being a British citizen and no longer obviously a Bengali and not even eligible for Bengali citizenship, um, I think her name was Shamima Begum, she goes off and she publicizes whatever she was doing or whatever, whichever force she joined and then the British government acted against her and said that by giving assistance to ISIS, which was in their terminology a um, terrorist organization, and participating in it, well, you're no longer eligible for British citizenship. And she was stripped of that. The House of Lords agreed. Now, you posed a question earlier on, what about South Africans with dual citizenship fighting in the Israeli army against the Palestinians? Um, remember, we already examined uh, automatic loss of citizenship. So that in itself is not sufficient to allow you to lose your citizenship. Now, the next question is, so what happens when you participate in a war? And there, there's a qualifying uh, factor where you could lose citizenship. If you participate in a war for a country that is fighting against South Africa, um, that will be difficult to fathom because we don't have any immediate enemies. But let's say we were at war with um, Angola, you know, in the old days, um, where the South African army had to fight the Cubans. And if you had gone to join the Cubans against the South Africans, in terms of the old apartheid legislation, you would have then been stripped of your citizenship. But you can see how citizenship is a very powerful thing and abused for many, many years, even by the apartheid government when they created all these Bantustans and you woke up the next day and suddenly you were in South Africa, but you are out of South Africa and you were a citizen of another country and you were summarily denied that citizenship. Uh, as we can see, what is happening in the Middle East is exactly that. Um, you know, part of the Oslo Accord uh, was, and, and Camp David agreements going back to Clinton's time, was um, the, the question of the right of return of Palestinians born in refugee camps. And Israel was saying, no, we won't allow that. Uh, you're, not, you're not coming back here. And then they allow any Israeli in any part of the world to come to Israel um, and uh, acquire uh, Israeli citizenship. So I'm, I'm trying to give an explanation of how different countries deal with these issues. In England, we saw that. Back in South Africa, there isn't a direct 
sanction against people participating in the Israeli war. However, in terms of the Rome Statute, certain parts of that um, say that, you know, even if you observing this and you're giving moral support to a crime against humanity, a genocide or Holocaust, you could be tried as an accessory to that. As yet, we haven't seen any of this in the modern time. Um, what we've seen is heads of states like Milosevic being held accountable for uh, territorial incursions and murder of the people of Bosnia. But ordinary soldiers have not been found guilty except um, during the Nuremberg trials, you know, with the, some of the guards at Auschwitz and, um, and, and those people were still hunted down and either killed or taken back to trial, doesn't matter how old you are, and, and held accountable for your participation in the Holocaust against the, uh, that the Nazis foisted against the Jewish population of Europe. <clears throat> so there's like a kind of what, you know, some of the things that you're seeing um, that don't make sense. Now, the question is, you know, th there were people in uh, Israel that refused to participate in the uh, in the uh, attacks on, on the people of Gaza. And, uh, you know, on the basis of conscientious objectors. Even we saw during apartheid the question of conscientious objectors refusing to serve in the South African army because of how they, uh, you know, had, had, had this program of massacre of, um, of the people of this country. Now, there isn't direct law that prohibits this, but maybe law now will be developed against the people actually participating and demonstrating that they uh, that they were there uh, to 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 uh, participate in the slaughter of uh, innocent civilians of Gaza it's evidence based and you know before you can actually you might have a suspicion but for it to have uh, legal consequences you need direct evidence those are some of the challenges there um, but if the guys 